0: Episode 46 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 17th of September 2018. I'm Joe, and with me are Faylim. How's it going? Graham. Hello. And Will. Good evening. Thank you very much, Graham and Will, for joining us all the way from Brussels. I know you should be in the pub now. And Faylim, you sound ill as well, so thanks all around. Yay. No problem. I think they, uh, avoiding Belgian beer, probably deserve more of a gold
1: medal than me. <laughs>
2: I'm here on a secret mission for Theresa May. (laughs) I wondered how long that would take. (laughs) Purpose of visit,
3: derail Brexit.
2: (laughs) I was going to say something about bombs in my bag then, but thought better of it. (laughs) You can make
0: the joke, I definitely cannot. (laughs) Right, stop fucking around, let's get on with this. So let's start with a bit of news. Uh Nextcloud 14 has been released and I've checked it out and it's not massively different, but it is an incremental improvement. Fadim, did you put this in? I did put it in. Um I've not ironically checked it out myself because I'm still waiting for mine to upgrade.
1: They're doing a rolling upgrade where they're doing chunks of percents of people every time. Um and I've not been lucky yet, but I look forward to it. So the video verification, is that a new feature? Yeah. Um I'm not really sure why you'd want that. It sounds terrible to me, but well, I'm sure somebody does.
3: <laughs> I, I quite like the, the problem that it's solving, that you need to know who it is that you're speaking to rather than just you know writing text on a screen. But it did seem a little bit, uh, I don't know, contrived, perhaps. I don't know. It, it just it means that the identity is the price of a colour printout.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's good to see the accessibility stuff improving. Um, They're starting to take that very seriously now. Yeah, um, and I like the extra two-factor authentication
1: stuff that you can get into it. Like, well, for me, Telegram, but uh, there's also Signal. Um, So I think that's quite cool. Um, Yeah, okay, you can do SMS too, but you really shouldn't do that for two-factor, but it's better than nothing. Mm. Um, So it's quite good if you've got a box out in the wild that you don't want to be hammered to death and have to hack away on your fail-to-ban rules like mad, Mm. like I have to, but... Yeah, no, it's, it's quite cool. Um, and a lot of improvements to the talk um, application as well, which is quite nice. I'd just like to see it actually work properly because it never worked properly for me and I don't know what I did wrong and I just gave up after a while and realized I didn't really need it and it would just mean something to play with. But yeah, no, hopefully this time I can spend a bit of time on it. Maybe
0: one day it'll get good enough for us to replace Mumble with, Hey, eh? hmm. <laughs> Yeah, are. maybe not. <laughs> Um, all right, so another one that you obviously put in, the KDE 5.14 beta. It might have been Graham. I don't know why you'd say that,
1: insinuation. <laughs> <laughs> he likes KDE too, you know, not like you two losers. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. There's a there's a good few bits and pieces that are going into this that looking really cool. Um, I love the new screen layout tool, which, oh, I am dying for this because going away on work and plugging in a spare monitor on the desk to the laptop and then the screens flip around, the right one goes left, the left one goes right, and then you know, you make the mistake of turning down the laptop without unplugging it first and all sorts of messing where you now have a screen that is black and all that type of rubbish. At least that's going away now and there's finally going to be a decent interface to it and you don't have to play movie screeny, try and find the clicky button thing. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be really cool. Um, and... Snaps! in Discover Hooray. as well as flat packs, as well as Flatpak yeah and also firmware update which is really cool so um Richard Hughes's demon is going to be part of that too which is kind of cool um fingers crossed it updates everything nicely because I, I god knows when I've updated my stuff then because I would have assumed that came down as part of the OS upgrades but yeah I wasn't really paying attention to that fully
2: so there's probably loads of things that have to be updated on my machine. I think also they they're doing a really good job with PR I think for so long like I don't know over a decade their PR has been woeful finding what's new in a release or what they've been working on has been really difficult but their their press release for this is excellent it tells you exactly what you want to know and does a really good job of showing what the changes are um I in fact over 10 years ago I did like a talk at the academy Trying to trying to tell them what they needed to do when they were dealing with the press, trying to suggest this kind of thing, and it it didn't really have much effect at the time. But I think they're really—it's a sign that they've got really good focus in in what they're trying to do, and and. and the breadth of the users that they're trying to target.
1: I think you should claim full credit for that, Graham. No. Uh, I think it
2: was clearly your. I think I know <laughs> that talk as well. It was you
1: introduced yourself as a K album developer. Oh, God. That, <laughs> that, it
2: might have, actually, it could even have been 14 years. It was in Dublin, wasn't it? Oh. Were
1: you there? Were you there then? No. Ironically, I'd. Just moved away at that point to Leon, which was just typical. And I did likewise, when they brought the Open Libre Graphics Summit to Leon. I'd already just moved away back to Dublin. So, so wherever there's going to be a great conference, I'll have moved away from.
0: So, so I presume you're going to get this pretty quickly in KDE Neon then?
1: Yeah, um, it's due to come out. Uh, first week of October, around the 4th, I think, um, and yeah, no, they're they're pretty up to date on that stuff, like they're very, very fast, we're getting the updates out, maybe a few days after release, just to, obviously they're building it on their side of things and running tests, but um, yeah, no, it's been really reliable, Neon has been excellent, and they're still taking their time getting 1804 out, which is what I want to hear, because I, I don't want it to bloody come yeah. out and break everything. I
2: agree, I agree. <laughs>
1: I am in no rush. I've got up-to-date kernels
0: with the harder extensions, and I've got the latest KDE. I'm very happy. Yeah, fair enough. Um, all right, well, let's talk about Fedora Silver Silverblue. Um, that, as they say, is a new variant of Fedora Workstation with RPM os tree at its core to provide fully atomic upgrades. And they have got a call for testing. They want to do a testing day, or, well, they are doing a testing day on Thursday, the 20th of September which is not very long, it's only a few days away. And they want people to download it, test it out, and report how they get on with it. So I thought I'd give them a bit of a shout out there, so do go and check that out, link in the show notes. It seems like a really interesting project to me because they've got the server, the atomic server, but this is, okay, it's not new on the desktop, but it's new for them at least, to have a desktop version like this, where you've got the um, kind of underlying operating system, and then flat packs on top of it and the um, Atomic updates to it, it's its all kind of new ground for them. And having tried it out, it's, it's not ready for use yet, but it is cool to see a bit of innovation happening. Yeah, and it looks like
1: a bit of an easier way to do it than, say, the likes of Cubes, where every application is a VM, which I don't know, I can't see that being as easy to maintain in the long run, whereas this, I think, has a bit more
3: legs to it. I would say I, I struggle to see the value in the atomic workstation concept. Like I get the fact that you can repair your machine and you know it, it can't break, but having a Linux workstation on your on your desktop is all about fiddling until you break it and then learning by fixing it. And this takes some of the fun out of it for me. Yeah, it's too solid. You want it to be shit like a Ubuntu. Well, how else are you going to learn? <laughs> we'll quote you on that. We're doing the world a favor
0: here. Yeah, install Arch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you want it to really break, nah, you've taken that too far now. I'm surprised you're even able to uh, do these podcasts with us, Graham, running <laughs> Arch. <laughs> Although I presume you've taken your Ubuntu laptop with you to. Uh... To
2: be completely honest, I'm i'm running Arch and KDE. You tell them. <laughs> yeah, don't tell. Don't tell Will. <laughs> I was using Windows
3: in a room with Graham earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wow. Dare I ask why? I'll uh, I'll ping you a link in a moment. Okay, fair enough. Um, all right,
0: well, on to a bit of sad news, and that is that Linux User and Developer Magazine is going to close pretty soon. Graham, you know some of the people involved with this, don't you?
2: Um, Oh, the editor, Chris Thornett. Um, he used to be our operations editor on Linux Format. Um, but yes, of course, in my previous life, uh, Linux User and Developer was always Linux Format's big competitor for through its change of hands, it was into the hands of Maggie Meer for a long time, who had a big impact on Linux magazine culture, um, gave lots of writers their start, to be fair. Um, and it was, it was bought by Imagine and then it was bought by Future Publishing. And I don't know, I guess, I guess, cause I was in publishing at the time, I, we always kept a close eye on what Linux user and developer did. Um, it always, it, it was very different to Linux format. It always looked great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I mean, I don't mean that as a poor Effie. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, um, the the editor at the time Rus- is Russell Barnes. Was Russell Barnes, and Russell Barnes has gone on to I think I have, he's he's the director of publishing or something similar at the Raspberry Pi Foundation. So, or the, the the commercial arm of that. So things like Hackspace Magazine and Magpie. The reason why they look so good, and they do. Is, is because of Russell Barnes and because of, um, his, his work on user and developer. And it's got a long history. It's, I can't, it's so difficult to express how difficult it is. Difficult, difficult to make money, even to just subsist on with magazines. Um, I know everyone says we're killing trees, but we, I mean, I know from our, our Linux voice, we got kind of data intelligence on, on what these, uh, what user and developer was selling and Linux voice outsold user and developer in, in the very end which is something like 2000 2016 and we're talking like 1500 copies and in fact as i remember Linux voice actually reduced the sales of user and developer quite considerably at the time and because there's just not enough room for the four mags that there were and i have honestly a lot of sympathy for trying to because i think print is great and linux magazines are great obviously um and it's sad that there's one fewer magazine on the market it does sound to me like, you know, Linux Voice failed. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Uh,
0: Linux user and developer has now failed after a long run. It seems to me that the only way to exist is if you've got a big company backing you, running it as a lost leader, like with the Raspberry Pi Foundation.
2: Actually, I think the Raspberry Pi Foundation, and I don't know, I have no inside knowledge, but I think in a way they're trying to... I don't think they're looking at it as a loss leader. I think they're trying to bootstart the industry again because they feel it's legitimately important. Um, And this is, in the world of publishing, that is important because a lot of what happened while I was working in publishing was cut after cut after cut. I mean, magazines like not necessarily user and developer, but like them. And the way that Imagine actually ran as a publishing house was often to have maybe not even one person as full-time staff on a magazine and to editors to have the responsibility of a few magazines, which was totally different to like the glory days of the 80s or the 90s. And so that changed as well. As much as readers kind of buy into the brand and the idea that these people are all friends with one another, all that was kind of left at the end and is is like a shell of what was once successful and so i actually think the raspberry pi foundation is doing quite it's it's doing good work in trying to i don't know keep the dream alive but i'm hopelessly romantic when it comes to print and publishing yeah especially as they gave your
0: mates uh, a
2: job yeah yeah they did yeah (laughs) andrew and ben still you know they work for hackspace magazine yeah were they offering a, a digital version of
3: their magazine
2: yeah they did
3: so the argument that people don't want uh you know a dead tree copy of a, a magazine is is not valid. It is purely because the interest has waned or people aren't interested, that sort of thing anymore.
2: Yeah. I think honestly, I think the costs, I, I couldn't give you an exact number. I mean, I, I should be better prepared, but the the print part is actually a small part of the overall costs. It's, it's probably 10 or 15%. And the, the, the major part is salary and paying freelance budgets. Um, so, you know, when Linux User and Developer and Linux Voice were selling in the UK in 2016 about 1,500 copies in the major supermarkets. And you can't just put your magazine into a supermarket. You actually, depending on what position you are in sales, you, the, the supermarket will give you more shelf space. So it's like a – so with us, for example, encroaching on user and developer sales – the the supermarkets reduced their amount of shelf space and increased hours. And it's really difficult, and also you have to pay for the privilege to be able to stock to, to be, get stocked on those shelves, as well as the huge percentage that the supermarkets take, much bigger than App Store percentages. And these, so when you look at like the. Th- the, the two pounds revenue that you get from each magazine sale and you're only selling 1700 copies in the major supermarkets combine that with you know two or three full-time staff and then paying freelance budgets there's just no money left and print is a small part of it all right well let's move on and talk about the
0: hot topic of the day uh, I don't know where to start with this to be honest uh, I know that you two over in Brussels have not really been uh, thinking about it. it's been too busy over there but Uh, the internet has uh, been set on fire, shall we say, especially like Reddit and Telegram and Twitter and stuff. So, basically, uh, the long and the short of it is Linus Torvalds has had enough or is taking a break and not going to be maintaining the kernel for a little while, at least. This kind of all started uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, when (laughs) when the... Uh, the conference was moved, wasn't it, over to Edinburgh from Vancouver because he had accidentally scheduled a holiday at the same time. Reading between the lines, it looks like he just did not want to go to that, and he had suggested that he wouldn't go to it, but they moved it you know, across continents so that he could, well, so he was forced to go to it. And then it turns out that now they have changed their code of conduct from quite a brief and to the point message of be excellent to each other and don't be a dick and you know it's a technical project and we strive for the the best technical um kernel that we can and you know if you submit shit code you're going to get told that it's shit and now it's changed to something considerably longer and more in depth that talks about well it basically says that most of the same stuff, but in a very long-winded way, except for it says that you've got to be nice to everyone. And obviously Torvalds is known for being quite abrupt with people, certainly on the mailing list. If you submit a shit patch, then he will tell you it's shit and he will swear at you and sometimes call you names and stuff. And there's no doubt they had gone too far at some points with that, but, uh, he has reigned in, in recent years, I think. But now he has come out with this apology saying that he's terrible at reading emotions and that he doesn't want to be like that anymore. He's very sorry and he needs to go away and take some time to reflect on that and learn how to process emotions properly and be a nicer dude. Which on the face of it sounds all right, doesn't it? But um, I don't know, I have some thoughts about all of this. But before I, you get my thoughts what do you lot think
2: there are two parts of this i mean there's linus's email and there's the post meritocracy manifesto (laughs) um linus's email i it's it's on it seems unresolved in my head um it sounds i can't imagine it and this it sounds more like burnout than anything else um but i will say that from working with developer types for a long time there is a it's a general Accepted level of um, a lack of empathy, I suppose, and that's accepted. And for a long time, it's been acceptable because the developers have been the focus and the centre of everything that we've done. And to a large extent, we we may not even be talking had that not been the case. I, I'm I'm not sure, um, but it's almost we're past that point now with Linux. You know, it's almost past the point of the the necessity or or the turning a blind eye to that kind of attitude. So. It, from Linus, from Linus, Linus's email perspective, I, you know, I feel like it's partly the fact he's done it for so long. He he wants a bit of time out and needs a breather. And also, I'm sorry for. I mean, that's how long did it take him? So the footnote was like a list of all of these threads um where he felt like he'd you know he, he'd possibly offended someone. That must have taken a long time to go through. Um, that's how I feel about Linus's email. Yeah, I think that Linus is human man
3: is what the the headline should be here. He's obviously um, reflected on some of the things he's done over the years and is feeling bad about it. He's he's accepted it and he's gone away to think about it. I don't think we should conflate uh, Linus's email and the code of conduct update uh, to be the same thing. I I, I think it's interesting that they happened around the same sort of time, but I don't think they're necessarily the same issue. Okay, Uh, (laughs) I disagree, but we'll go back to that. Phelan? I don't know. (laughs) Gonna sit on the
1: fence. I mean, I can see people should be excellent to each other, as they say. Um I mean, maybe he saw Bill and Ted making a new film and he went, Shit, they were right. I need to stick to being good. Um I, don't, I really don't know. I, I I don't know where to say this because I mean I can't believe that he didn't know he was being a bit of a dick now and again. And then all of a sudden someone flicked a switch so i think there's a bit more behind this Mm. Um, and am i burying the lead should i say that you know his daughter signed the post meritocracy site
0: well i think we need a bit of background here right so first of all this new code of conduct that has been adopted was written by a woman called Caroline ada m key now she also was I'm not sure if she wrote it completely this post meritocracy manifesto but she was certainly um a major contributor to it now this post meritocracy manifesto where the fuck do I start with what is wrong with this it sets out this idea this this challenge to the axiom that meritocracy is good and i'm all for challenging axioms and being an iconoclast and I feel like suddenly that's me for thinking that this is not a good thing because it's just fucking bullshit. It's saying things like, we believe that interpersonal skills are at least as important as technical skills, which I, I just that's just not true, is it? I don't know. Well, okay, they interpersonal skills are very important, right? And uh, you do need to be able to deal with people. And Torvalds has historically been quite bad with that right but that doesn't devalue the quality of the kernel and the fact that it's running on billions of devices from little iot stuff all the way up to supercomputers and everything in between it's clearly technically a very good piece of software no one could argue with that and this manifesto is is basically saying that it's more important to be inclusive and um have diversity than it is to have good quality code
3: i take exception at that i don't, I don't think it does say it's more important i think it's it's as important and i think that's a, an important distinction
0: all right well i will concede that point yes it is saying that however uh i i just don't agree with that i, I think that um if you read the original code of conduct it says everything that This new one does, but just not in so many words. And historically, whoever submitted patches to the kernel, they were only judged on the quality of that code, as far as I can tell. I mean, I'm not a developer, I'm not a kernel developer, so I don't know whether that is necessarily true, but my understanding is that Torvalds has only ever judged people on the quality of their code. He's been incredibly rude to people who have submitted shit code, and perhaps fostered an environment of not being that welcoming. However, people who can write good code have been welcomed with open arms. And if he looks at that code, reviews it, everything is hunky dory with it, then he accepts the patch. And you know, you could have fucking two heads and be from the moon, as far as he's concerned. It doesn't matter if your code is good. That's that's all that matters. So why do we need? Why do we need this? code of conduct, and why do we need to have this idea that we live in a post-meritocracy world now, and that it's not about merit, it's about other things being equally important. You know, surely that will only lead to lower-quality code, I, I, you know, have I gone mad here? Uh, yeah,
1: well, I don't I mean, I can see your point, um, and I'm not trying to absolutely sit in the fence, but I can see both sides to it, but I think the danger is the fact that if you're seen to be hostile, you can put off a lot of people from starting, so you don't know. Maybe the next greatest network layer driver, writer person is just around the corner, but then they look at that and they just go, fuck a bunch of that, I'm going to work for Microsoft. The problem I have with the post-meritocracy page was the point where they said, we have an ethical responsibility to refuse to work on software that will negatively impact the well-being of other people. Now, okay, this is a a manifesto, it's not exactly a set of rules, but you can't, in a world full of many differing peoples, have a sentence like that, because what I believe and what you believe are not the same things, and we can both equally be correct in our worldview, in our own worldview, and we'd be at conflict there. Now, okay, they might be saying that the individual doesn't have to write it, but these things have a tendency to spiral on a bit and you know, give people higher ground. A lot of people don't like the FSF because they think they try to stand above everybody else and tell you how wrong you are because you don't use free software. This has slight hints of danger of getting in that direction, I believe, because, I mean, that's outside of the OSI definition of what open source software is.
0: Yeah, that's them saying we don't believe in software freedom. That's saying that, you know, people will use this software to do unethical things. Well, that's the risk you take if you create free software you know if you create you know this podcast that we're doing now is being released under a creative commons license right so someone could listen to that while they're going a killing spree <laughs> obviously i'd rather they didn't but that's the price you pay for having it under a free license i can't say that like you know certain people aren't allowed to listen to this show and you can't say that certain people aren't allowed to use your free software it's either free or it's not and You know, it's, it's things like that are a huge red flag to me. What's important here is if you look at the list of co-signatories, I did control F for Torvalds and I found Patricia Torvalds and I wondered who's that, she must be related to Linus. Sure enough, looked it up, it's his daughter. And if you look a little bit further into this, you can see that she is a young, um, woman who has been politically active before with feminism and stuff. And, you know, it's not a huge leap to put two and two together and see that she has had some influence here and that he has, um, you know, changed his ways, probably having spoken to her about this.
2: Is feminism political activism? Oh, is that a political question in of itself? <laughs> this is such a sensitive subject. And I'm, the four of us are probably the four least placed people to talk about it, I think.
0: Because of the axiom that you have to be the thing to talk about the thing.
2: We, I don't feel like we, we fundamentally understand the motivation behind creating it. Mm. And I don't particularly feel, um, I can comment on it f- for that reason. And what something like this, like the free software license, if that's what this is like, I think needs to stand if, if, if it's popular. Then it will become influential. Um, and it, it may represent some, something, a feeling that any one of us might not just be able to empathize with, but is also very real. And so I'm very aware of that, that it's something outside of my own experience. And, you know, I've had a pretty fortunate existence. I actually don't know the difficulties that people face. I mean, I, it is difficult. I'm not saying like life is easy for any of us, but. It's very difficult to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and the kind of challenges they specifically face. And if if they're motivated enough to put those concerns into a, a well-written, clear document that resonates with other people, and that resonates enough to create some momentum, then I think that's great. Sorry to be the politically correct one in this.
0: Well, you know, I try and be politically correct wherever possible, but sometimes you just have to realise that something is fucking madness and this manifesto is fucking madness, trying to say that that meritocracies are, are flawed because mm. they somehow favor, um, you know, certain groups of people. I mean, that's not what a meritocracy is. You could say that um, the, the, the Linux kernel development is not a meritocracy because certain people are being favored, but you can't say that a meritocracy means that. I mean, that, that's just it's like almost Orwellian language, like trying to just change the meaning of words.
2: I think you could say it's wrong if Linus Torvalds or Richard Stallman made a referendum out of it (laughs) and all of a sudden 52% of people voted into action.
0: (laughs) Well, if they wrote it on the side of a bus, perhaps.
2: But at the moment, it's just an idea, you know, and ideas need space to breathe. I think that's fair. I'm not
3: quite sure how we got on to this post-meritocracy manifesto topic, because this was written back in May, and we're talking about an email that Linus Torvalds sent, like, this mm. week. So, I think we've gone a little bit off, off-piste here.
0: It's not off-piste, Will, it's not. Put the fucking pieces together, man. <laughs> the woman who wrote this manifesto, or at least contributed significantly to it, wrote the Code of Conduct, which happened around the time that he suddenly started apologizing and fucks off for a while to,
3: you know, find himself. You're telling me that this shit isn't linked? Having a code of conduct is about having a framework in which an organization can operate and when somebody steps outside those bounds, then you've got a document to point to to say, this is how we do things and you're doing it wrong. The fact that the same person perhaps drafted these two documents makes perfect logical sense if you are trying to write a a, a document to be more inclusive which this post-meritocracy document is then absolutely you could expect the same person to write a code of conduct it's it's the same end goal fair enough well there's no way that we're all going (laughs) to
0: agree on this obviously (laughs) there's not much point arguing with you lot here's a question joe right what would be the ideal result. Does
1: Torvalds have to be as abrasive as he is? Could he be equally as firm without being abrasive?
0: Well, I think that he has been recently. I think that in the last couple of years, he has calmed down a lot. He hasn't been as insulting as he was. Okay, he's sometimes a bit short with people, but he has definitely changed his ways and be mellowed out, or whatever you want to call it, and been better at it. In the last couple of years, as far as I can see. Am I wrong about
1: that? I don't think you're wrong. I, see, the problem is I don't read the current mailing list to, enough, but I, th- I think though, what, you know what usually happens with these things where there's, a, I call it an injustice, but say there's a, a one-sided way of doing things that has a tendency to swing back a little bit more the other way, almost to the other extreme, and eventually things balance out in the middle. I think. We can hope that they balance out in the middle and then
0: you'll be happy and so will we. (laughs) (laughs) I just want people to get on and to create great free software and not have to drag politics into it. And, you know, Caroline has said that uh, it is a political code of conduct and, you know, what she is doing is very much a political move. And I just would rather politics stayed out of this stuff if possible. And as for, I, I didn't see that there was a problem. Obviously, there must have been a problem. Otherwise, this wouldn't have happened. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong sitting here as a white cis male in London, privileged as fuck, you know. So I suppose we should probably move on, but I, I just, I don't <laughs> understand it. I feel like the world is just passing me by, man. I feel like I'm just getting old or something. <laughs> um, but one thing that has not passed me by... Is I can finally talk about Jupyter Broadcasting joining Linux Academy. Yay! Yay. This is it's such shocking news to you guys, isn't it? Oh. oh, geez, this is the first I heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you were blessed with the knowledge beforehand. So, yeah, I mean, let's not spend too much time talking about this, but the long and the short of it is that uh, Jupyter Broadcasting has joined Linux Academy um and not much is going to change the shows that we've been doing on jupiter Broadcasting are going to continue as they were except without adverts which means that uh now i think we're the only linux podcast with adverts so nice one Linux academy thanks for that um and also uh user error is back uh and it's been rebooted with me hosting it with popey and daniel foray from elementary And Popey curses in it. This is the second podcast in as many weeks that I've heard Popey cursing
1: and it just makes me all hot and buttered. I just can't (laughs) cope with it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's going to be every two weeks uh, on a Friday. The last one came out last Friday, I think. Yeah. So um, yeah, I'll link to that in the show notes. It's it's error.show slash 48 is the first episode. So uh, do check that out. It's pretty cool. Um, and so what does all this mean for late-night Linux? It means sweet Fanny Adams. But aren't we owned by Jupiter Broadcasting, Joe? No, we're not. We are completely independent, um, and we are going to continue to be completely independent. As I said in the Telegram group, I did uh, Linux Luddites and then late-night Linux when I had a job that I fucking hated. Now I have a job that I really, really love, And so nothing changes. I still have spare time and that's when I'm doing this show in my spare time. Um, So, yeah, even though I'm working more or less full time on uh, the broadcasting stuff, this show is going nowhere. I said that and people took it the wrong way. The show, uh, oh, this this show is going nowhere. We're going to have to kill it. No, it's (laughs) staying around. So, yeah, I I love doing this show. I love the, the independence of it. I love the fact that it's just our thing that we do, whatever so yeah don't worry um if anything this might give me a bit more spare time now hopefully i need to see how things shake out chris has been kind of um well ill in hospital and stuff uh he's on the mend now but once things get back up to speed and kind of normalize a bit hopefully i might have a bit more spare time and might be able to do other shows but no promises on that but um yes all in all excellent news and i am very happy to be finally after five and a half years of trying living the dream yeah oh yeah <laughs> Well then, Joe. Thank you. Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash LNL. That's for Late Night Linux. And you can get $100 credit to get you started and you've got 60 days to spend it. Now, DigitalOcean offers virtual machines in the cloud with full root access. So you SSH in and you can do whatever you want. They offer Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, CentOS, and even FreeBSD, and also some container distros like CoreOS and Fedora Atomic and RancherOS. Plus, they've got loads of one-click apps, so when you create your droplet, you can just start with a basic LAMP or LEMP stack, or you can have WordPress or Discord or GitLab, they have got tons of those. And the droplets start from as little as $5 a month. And they're also charged by the hour if you want them to. Recently, I wanted to check out Nextcloud 14. And so I just spun up a VM, snap install Nextcloud, dash dash edge, got it up and running, did a bit of testing. I think it took me less than an hour, destroyed the droplet. It cost me about a penny because I only needed the lowest power VM. But they've got droplets that go all the way up to 32 CPUs and 192 gigabytes of RAM. And it all scales really easily as well. You just power it down, scale it up to whatever you need, power it back up again. And when you create these droplets, it's super fast as well. I actually made a little mistake when I created my droplet for this next cloud thing. And instead of fixing it, it was just quicker to just destroy the droplet and create another one. Within a minute, I was up and running again. Another cool thing is the cloud firewall, which allows you to block traffic before it even hits your box. So if you're looking for a Linux VM with full root access, in data centers all around the world with super fast networking and super fast SSDs, then do check out do.co slash lnl. That's do.co slash lnl. Onto a bit of admin then. And thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It's very much appreciated. If you want to join them, you can go to latenightlinux.com/slash support. There's plenty of ways there. And if you want to get in contact, which I suspect people may well want to do after what we talked about earlier. Uh, you can go to com slash contact. And I think that's it for the admin. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com. And they are a dedicated Linux computer seller based here in the UK. And they ship computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate 18.04. And they've got a huge range of laptops, some desktops, a very nice looking all-in-one, and even a couple of servers. And almost everything's configurable in terms of the CPUs and the RAM and the storage. And they've got a full range from fairly affordable machines all the way up to real powerhouses that are ideal for 3D art and machine learning and video editing, that sort of thing. So you're bound to find something to fit your budget. And they're a company who really cares about Linux. It's not some side project for them. It's all they do. And so you know that they're really passionate about this stuff. And they ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain, and if you do get one of their machines, then mention us at checkout. There's a little drop down. You can select late night Linux so that they'll know that we sent you to them. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. Right. So last time I spoke to VM Brasur about contributing to uh, free and open source software and her book, Forging Your Future. And afterwards, that created a bit of a debate in the Telegram group, at least. And in some of the comments and everything, because uh, she was using a Mac to talk to me. That's the bottom line. I sounded a bit pissed off at the beginning of that interview. People have pointed out, and that's because she couldn't get Mumble to work because, I don't know, Mac OS was just playing up. And so I was a little bit frustrated. It turns out that she was actually really cool. And I, as I said last time, I spoke to her for about an hour afterwards and everything. So it was really cool to speak to her. And um, I asked her about the Mac thing off air, and she said that she was just she just lost her patience with Linux on on the desktop at least. She still runs servers and all the rest of it. Um, and uh, there's a tweet of hers. I think it was a few days before I spoke to her, uh, where she posted about like a really hostile user experience um, with. Uh, I think it was a hard drive died, and uh, so the machine wouldn't boot, and it just gave her a load of text which. Um, you had to kind of work out what was going on with it. And and so the debate erupted, uh, w- which is, uh, do you have to use free and open source software to contribute to it? Um, but I think what what was mostly interesting was um, this idea of Linux on the desktop being hostile to users and not being easy for people and needing to be an expert to use it. And Phelan, you raised a really good point, and that is that, surely you need to be an expert to use any machine. Yeah. I mean, I'm not
1: saying you have to be coding level competent, but I mean, at some point, what I don't understand is the fact that of all the things computing seems to have this, you should be able to turn up and just use it and go. I mean, ideally it'd be great if you did, but it's almost like you're not allowed to have to learn something before you do it like driving a car, you have to get a license, flying a plane, you have to get a license. Fair enough. There's other people involved, but equally I'm on the receiving end of buckets of spam because people don't update their PCs properly or antivirus or whatever. And I'm not going to say it's self-entitlement, but I don't know. It just, there seems to be a level where it must work the way I want it to. And if it doesn't work that way,
3: my God, it's the worst thing in the world ever. And I'm going back to the thing I'm used to. I think you've hit on the crux of the matter there, which is the thing I'm used to. Um, Whatever it is that you you experience first, be it Windows or Mac, then, um, yeah, that's that's the way you expect things to work. And if they work differently, then they're wrong.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if you want to eject the CD, that's about the only thing I know on a Mac, but you want to eject the CD on a Mac, you drag it to the trash. (laughs) Obviously. I mean, obviously.
0: Yeah, you do that with... um
1: external disks as well, I think. Yeah, see, it just sounds like it's going to shred the drive or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, that is pretty unintuitive. Okay, so I think I'm able to look at it and go, yeah, I don't know how to use Windows very well these days. It's been so long, and I really don't know how to use a Mac because I've barely ever used one. But I don't demand that they, you know, be like KDE. I just don't use them.
0: Yeah, but the point that um, Vicky was bringing up was that on those other operating systems, you wouldn't expect just a black screen with a load of white random text that doesn't mean anything to the average person. I don't believe it. I bet you get an image that has a sad
1: computer face and then, <laughs> then it just craps itself. So yeah, what what use is that? I mean, you can't do anything with that either. You have to go to the Geek Squad or whatever the Apple Genius Bar, or God knows what it's called, and what, and bring it to them. So we should have a Linux bar and
3: then that's the way we solve that issue. Like. Is, is blue screen of death still a thing? I assume it is. That's a blue screen with loads of text on it. I heard it was green screen there, was it? <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, it breaks in in more or less the same way.
0: So you must have felt quite an affront that she, I think it was Ubuntu that she was using, and to see her criticising it like that, Will, your baby.
3: Well, I, I get reports like this every single day from people who are disappointed with the way that ubuntu is working and the fact that it broke and they couldn't fix it um i've developed a bit of a thick skin here i'm afraid so yeah yes there are problems with it um and as falim is saying if once you've learned how to use it and once you understand what these messages mean i think actually linux gives you much more information about why it broke than any other operating system does. Um, It's just about interpreting that information and knowing what to do with it. And if you don't know, then yeah, I can understand it. It would be very scary to be given this sort of huge amounts of text about what's gone wrong and why it's broken um, instead of a, a pretty picture of a sad computer.
0: And what about this idea that you have to use free software to contribute to it, and that people were outraged that she was using a Mac? I mean, I am pragmatic enough to say, look, Use whatever tool is best for the job. And if you are using a Mac to write this amazing free software that we can all benefit from, then I don't give a shit. I will tell you what's great about the Linux desktop, but. If you're not interested, you're not interested. And if you're doing something good with it, then who cares?
3: Yeah, you can absolutely run free software applications on Macs and on Windows. Uh, and you can still write those applications on non free desktop operating systems. So, yeah, of course, you can contribute to free software without having to run a, a Linux desktop. As someone who doesn't have Google Apps on his phone, flashes
1: his own OS on it, and then installs Linux on only as the only OS I've got. I clearly don't believe that. I don't necessarily mean everybody else should be forced to do it. But I think if you're out presenting um, at a conference, I think it's really important that you have open software on your laptop. For purely the only way of saying, look, I use this myself. I am I stand by what I'm using and, you know, I'm prepared to stick this on my computer and use it. So that's why I think you should use it too. Now." maybe in a non technical sense like she would be doing more community outreach type work and running communities maybe it's not as important there but you know the amount of people that would use an apple for a presentation you know maybe they think it's more reliable whatever i don't know it 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 does great against me
2: to be honest i know what you mean but i think you know there's a net gain in exposure to open source software through people like Vicky talking about the talks that she's doing that she may not do if she's not using a Mac or if if the open source uh, community weren't more accommodating. We all make so many compromises. If, you know, the the websites that you access, they're not open source, your your electricity meter, you know, where do you draw the line? I think simply saying more people using open source is a good thing, you know, and, and she's promoting the ideas of open source, and I think that's a net gain. Is it not like a car salesman turning up in a, a Ford and trying to flog yeah. you a BMW and go, why are you not driving it? Oh, they're shit. Look great, but they're shit. <laughs> but that, that's a personal choice. I mean, I, I would, I would dog food the software that I'm talking about, but I wouldn't criticize someone for not doing it. Um, you know, she could just has a different perspective on this. And, and I remember like, well, it was actually Paul Hudson when we used to do the Radar podcast. He did an awful lot of open source software development, tutored people um, learning to code and spent an awful lot of time with them in private. And then he got ripped to shreds one day because he was seen with a Mac or an iPad or something like that. And it's like you have no idea what Paul has done, you know, yet you're just picking on this one simple thing to to like... I don't know, It's it, it It has no deeper meaning other than the fact that somebody's using a Mac. You have no idea what kind of deeper influence or wider open source message there is.
0: Well, yeah, and the thing is that you don't necessarily have to be contributing to Linux on the desktop if you're contributing to FOSS. Yes. And you can very easily get a Mac and SSH out of that into a Linux server, and then, y- you know, you are basically using Linux at that point. So just because you're advocating for free software doesn't necessarily mean that you're advocating for Linux on the desktop. Mm, yeah. You know, they they are two different things, or at least Linux on the desktop is a separate aspect of that. And us on this show and people listening to this are probably using Linux on the desktop, but most people who interact with Linux for their job are doing it from things like party on Windows or a terminal on a Mac. And that is the actual reality of that situation. That Linux on the desktop is nowhere near as popular as Linux on servers. Mm-hmm. I am absolutely aware of that that is. I, to, like,
1: I totally see that, but and I totally mean. I know what you mean by you know. There's more one way to do it, but it just feels that if from the outside, someone looking at it will go, "Oh, look, there's an open source person. They use a Mac." Why do they use a Mac? Open source must be crap. I'm going to use a Mac. Or
2: <laughs> well, maybe they'll say, oh, look, she's advocating open source. Um, and obviously, you don't have to go hook, line, and sink her into the whole religion of open source. You can still use a Mac and just pick and choose what you like. And that sounds good to me.
0: Yeah. Maybe just use Firefox or whatever. And, you know, it's, it's better that someone uses Firefox on a Mac than Safari on a Mac or Chrome, isn't it? Doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm really, like honestly, I mean, I'm not messing.
1: It doesn't matter at that point. Mm. Are you not just using the open source community at that point? You've already given your money to Apple, who may or may not like attack them or buy up other open source developers. Like uh, the reason the print server is not GPL three is because they bought it to make sure it would stay GPL two. I mean, they're not necessarily our friend. So that's what I... I'm not saying they're our enemy, but they're not our friend. A bit like the way Microsoft is. They're not, you know, these are profit-making companies. They're not our friends. They're there to use what they can.
0: Look, just come out and say it they there. Shower of bastards. <laughs> shower of bastards. <laughs> yes. Well, I think that's probably enough controversy for one uh, episode, given that uh, you two... Uh, ambassadors in Brussels have got to go and uh, try and stop Brexit or go to the pub and get more pissed or something.
3: Same thing. Um,
0: Strategically reduce the Belgian beer reserve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So remember late slash contact when you want to tell us. At least one of us has been terribly wrong about something. <laughs> um, so, yes, we'll be back in a couple of weeks anyway, when hopefully we'll all be at home. Uh, so in the meantime, I've been
3: Joe. I've been Thelam.
2: I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later!